it's like that podcast, you know, but sort of the discount evil version. It's Feature Please, Ava Voyage of the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm your bitchy co-worker, Peter. Before we get into co-workers that may or may not have done something embarrassing this week, we want to talk about a couple things. First, our plans. Uh, we are obviously getting close to the end of actual factual Voyager, which seems crazy. Uh, I know we've mentioned it a few times. Started the show back in 2018. Naive, yet still middle-aged men not knowing the hundreds that would follow in actually wanting to listen to it. We appreciate all of you, and we appreciate you are excited for our next chapter. So here's what's how it's going to work. We are going to finish. We're not going to take any more weeks off as far as, we're, as we can tell, you know, unless there's some kind of life emergency. We're going to finish the rest of the show before the end of the year. Uh, and then you know, our intention is to drop two special episodes at the end. One will be a season seven rip because we don't want season seven to get short shrifted. We need to give it the same treatment. All if the season other seasons. sucks, got a rip. Season seven gets a rip. All right. It deserves to be given the same treatment as all of our other, all of our other seasons. And then you don't after- give these seven, these seasons a proper burial. They come back to life and they start eating brains. It's ugly. You got to do things the right way around. There's that George Romero movie about that. About Star Trek, <laughs> Star Trek seasons rising from the dead. And then after that, we're going to do another special episode, but this will be the season finale Voyager itself being put in its grave once and for all. And that one, we're going to blow it out, man. We're going to do that one live. We're going to look we're going to look to get as many of uh, of our listeners to to join us as uh, perhaps feed us some prompts, some things to talk about, and and then afterwards do a little hanging out in Discord with people who might be interested, just kind of decompress and chat. We'd love to to touch base with folks that are interested in doing that. Uh, and af- and and into that, after that, we're going to take a little bit of a break. Um, to take a few weeks off because. We want to get ready to do Enterprise. That's going to be the next phase of Vigor, please. Uh, you know, we want to get a new logo. We want to, I'm going to do some improvements in terms of audio and all kinds of things to sort of inaugurate moving on to a new show. But to do that, we got to take some time off. So how much that'll be, not sure yet. We'll let you know closer to when that, that happens. So that's that story. And we also want to do a quick shout out to uh, Alex, uh, is a fan of ours or wrote a very nice email, very detailed uh, email. Thanks for sending that in, man. We always appreciate getting emails from our fans at vjerplease at gmail.com. And then uh, John Morris, thanks so much for your support on Patreon. Appreciate you. And everybody who supports uh, the community by frequently posting dank memes and uh, other funny insights or even you know bring us the nerdy stuff too on the trauma support group on facebook uh i will say that is one of the high points of my facebook scrolling experience daily is seeing positive good community content coming in out of that i'd go as far as to say it's the only positive thing about facebook uh you are absolutely right um i have aged out of a point where uh my friend's do bikini pictures anymore so yeah that's that's star trek <laughs> <laughs> or if they do but you don't want to see them anymore yeah. 
All right. Speaking of cut it out, season seven, episode 20, author, author. I I think that of all the episodes of Voyager I have watched in the frame of mind of doing it for this podcast versus like the last time I saw it, this one is the one that improved the most in my estimation. I remember thinking it was pretty good when I saw it the first time. I actually thought this is excellent. This might be my front runner for one of the best episodes of the season. Um, I'm interested in your thoughts on it. I liked it a lot, and I don't think that you're wrong in considering that as a front runner. And I want to discuss for a moment uh, what you mean when you're saying that watching it this time around, it has stood out much more. And I'm going to go on a limb and say that the experience you and I are having right now with Voyager has to be unlike any other Star Trek run through that either of us have done because you, you watch it the first time for me, it was next gen. That, that was when I really clung to, but that's in the nineties, that's late eighties, early nineties, right? And Voyager for you would have been end of high school and end of college a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're watching it and you're enjoying it, but you certainly at that point, were not having a minimum hour long discussion with someone else who had just watched it, researched uh, and been ready to present that to listeners out on the internet in God knows where. Uh, we are certainly having a Star Trek experience that is under the microscope with a lot of deep discussion. And I think the characters have taken on a lot more life through our interactions with them than perhaps was even originally meant to by the writer's room. We have lamented in the fact that the writers of this show bought too deeply into the need to make it uh, as intro friendly as possible so that people could start watching it from any point and how seriously and repeatedly damaging it is to the show's overall creative integrity and the capacity of it to tell interesting stories that they don't allow continuity to have the weight that it should in the premise that the show is built on of this ship trying to get back home and having adventures and consequences of those adventures that follow in its wake. No, I think that issue is most present in how the characters themselves are portrayed and evolve or perhaps don't evolve. We have lamented every time it's happened Character loops, look it up. Yeah, how how we see the same story being told for the for the same characters over and over and over again. Bolana's, you know, number one with the bullet child. when it comes to that, but everyone has remained kind of stuck and unable to evolve significantly. And they've only just started to break away from that, and they've only just started to do it in the last two seasons specifically. Uh, with the Doctor and Seven of Nine. And perhaps even, I would say, the Doctor might be the exception that proves the rule overall. That he's been the only character that, as actually, if you could go from Season 1 to Season 7, you've seen a significant change. And to the Doctor specifically, uh, I- I'll lay that accomplishment at Robert Picardo's feet. Who... Yeah, the writers didn't do that. He did that. No, he he stole that progression 
from the script and was able to establish a character as what very clearly became one of the fan favorites and made maybe the producers or whoever go, okay, this dude who should have been kind of a background B role character uh, is, is grade A both in terms of story potential and certainly acting, uh, give him more. He, he will become more. This episode was so unexpectedly good to me because I felt the depth in each of these characters journeys in a way that the show rarely permits to occur. I actually had a legitimate single tear form near the end of this episode when Janeway is laying her speech on like they, they accomplished the, the the potential of the show once again they, you get a, a window into what could have been for seven seasons so much through this and i love it it's good like i said potentially the best episode of the season certainly so far it's in the discussion but is also a painful reminder of how infrequent these flashes of brilliance really have been I don't want to front load this too much. I think there's a lot to unpack in individual scenes. I don't know if there's something else that you want to you want to say before we do that. I'm just astounded at the amount of content they were able to pack into this thing. I feel like there's three separate episodes somehow rolled into this. Uh, the Doctor's plot line, uh, the Midas relay talking to Earth, Seven of Nine's family connection, Balana's whole fucking family story coming out not a wasted oh. second every no. scene is important and it's interesting too that when i say it feels like there's so much a lot of these voyager episodes by the end of the 45 minutes there's maybe two or three scenes that really stick with you and kind of embody what your memory retains of the episode and the rest of it, a lot of times, is just bullshit chaff that doesn't fucking matter with two-dimensional aliens or... That are only interesting because of how bad their makeup is. Like, yeah. we'll remember the Cleveland Bromars forever, but because they looked ridiculous. Mm, uh, they were super bitchy. Those, yeah. The it Bromars were shit. fucking... Those were good Delta Quadrant guys. I would have liked to see more of those. But, you know, for every Bromar, there's... Well, we can't remember them, right? Like I can't remember them. Some some alien with shit on their head. Sorry. But for this to come out so action, not action packed, but so memorable, it's like they just went through what six other episodes that never saw the light of day and said, hey, here's here's a touching moment out of all of these. Wrap them in a ball. Uh, we're going to do a real easy episode that mostly takes place on the ship. And there you go. And it works out great. The teaser is very brief. It is the Doctor clearly working on some kind of hollow novel in the holodeck. I'm going to submit this as a nomination for the new lowest stakes ever opener. I don't know, man. The Seven of Nine playing the piano two weeks ago was pretty seven low. Seven of Nine playing the piano versus the Doctor writing in a book. Wow. Riveting. But we, we jumped to very relevant information very quickly as we find out that Reginald Barkley has continued to be hard at work doing just the brilliant nonsense that he does between committing Starfleet felonies. And that is establishing a two-way visual real-time communication link with Voyager. It is some literal bounce attack on beam off the main deflector dish 
into a singularity and we get to have FaceTime for 11 minutes a day. And even more impressive, potentially, is the fact that Barkley was able to be in an episode of Voyager without Troy. <laughs> yes, that Troy, the Troy contract finally ran out. Uh, mm-hmm. No Marina Sirtis to be found Went here. Out with a bang with that bikini episode. It's him and uh, now Admiral Paris. There was no uh, there was no Pete. Boss Pete was not in this one. Sorry, dude. Commander Pete, the best boss ever. Now it's just Admiral Paris and and uh, and and Reg Barkley uh, talking over. Hey, now we can actually talk 11 minutes a day. We can be just be in constant contact with each other. This is obviously a big moment for Voyager. This is another brick in the road of they are getting closer and closer to home. Like now we can actually talk to Starfleet command every single day. This is awesome. And, uh, there is a, an immediate lottery for using the time for, as you would expect people to contact their loved ones and say, Hey, uh, what's up? You know, dad, I'm sorry. I've been stuck on the other side of the galaxy for the last seven years. Hopefully you didn't get blown up by the dominion. Yeah. Wow. Imagine that. So much, so much briefing to happen there. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. I understand that they don't go into that because at this point it's already like pretty heavy. So like going into the, Hey, by the way, beta Z totally got like rampaged on by, by the, uh, by the Jem'Hadar, so hopefully you don't have any Beta Zeds on your ship, to which Janeway says, No, they don't. We have one. He was really cool. Two. Rest in peace. (laughs) Rest in peace, big guy. The Helms... uh, A Helmswoman, yeah. Yeah, that Tom spit game at before he ganked her job. Yeah, I mean, the closest they really get to heavy, heavy news came from Message in a Bottle, and that was the complete obliteration of uh, the Maquis. Right, which was linked to the Dominion War as well, but sure, that's right. fine. That's another show's drama. We don't need to get into that. And instead, it's hey, I finally get to talk to my parents, or I finally get to talk to my sister, you know, family members, wife, children, what have you. Is Jamie going to be like, put my dog on the phone? <laughs> she says who she's going to call, right? I think she said, not Mark. Mark was not in. She's like, no, I found a better one, and I still left his ass behind. Um, <laughs> R.I.P. Oh, no, her mom. Her mom. She was going to call her mom. They they do a bit of uh, who gets the, uh, the first bite of the apple, and it turns out it's actually the doctor, which everyone's like, oh, who are you going to call, Reg Barkley or Dr. Zimmerman? <laughs> like the two people you know, right? Like, I'd have been like, listen, this is bullshit, all right? The fucking hologram should not be... Phone call number one, the hologram who got to spend like a whole month back in the Alpha Quadrant, like fuck this guy for real. But he gets to go first and we find out that he is using his time not to contact Dr. Zimmerman, not to contact Reginald Barkley, but a a bullion uh, who is we find out Arden Brot of Brot and Forrester, which is a, you know, play on it being basically Simon and Schuster who uh, we will find out from Tom Paris are hollow novel publishers. They specifically publish the Dixon Hill series. A nice touch, a nice little shout out. That'll come up under conversation between the doctor and Tom Paris when he's like, oh, the publishers of Dixon Hill. And I'm like, I thought nobody knew who the fuck Dixon Hill was. I mean, maybe Picard made it cool. People found, oh, wow, the captain of the flagship. He's into Dixon Hill. This is 
we need to do that like in just because the boomers that were on the d don't know what dicks mills doesn't mean the zoomers like tom paris weren't super into it also like this 20th century pop Tom's culture like, i'm gonna fuck red brick <laughs> you know when they did the dixon hill thing for uh uh first contact i believe ethan phillips is like the concierge of the of the club he, like he has a cameo in the movie playing nice. that character nice he says how they snuck him and and uh obviously uh robert Picardo in there so this publisher really wants this hollow novel that we've seen that the doctor's working on and he says hey it's not ready yet that's just a that's just a draft, draft yeah. I, I need to do some revisions he's like okay fine whatever before they wrap up that initial conversation our good friend reginald barkley has a gift for that crew of voyager and that's a live feed of earth i like how they show tuvok looking at it with a surge of emotion like tuvok would really give a fuck about earth (laughs) hey look it's that planet i am not from i it's a place where i used to work don't we all just fondly look back at our old uh jobs and feel those emotions swelling us so everybody's in good spirits and uh like you said they're kind of ribbing the doctor specifically tom and the doctor says, no, listen, I've got a, a book deal I'm working on. And Tom gets a little jealous because as his wife, Bellana, will later go on to say that the holodeck is Tom's domain. Remember, Tom's a cool kid on Voyager. Tom comes up with all the fun fads like ping pong and yo-yo and, I don't know, cocaine or whatever. <laughs> Debilitating cocaine addictions, fucking French hookers in a bar he used to hang out in when he God, was a teenager. Can we just take a moment to enjoy the fact that we haven't had to see Sandrine's in like years now? Yeah, I think it, they like redid the set for that uh, My Fair Lady episode, and that was that was it. Yeah, Someone I would also like or... to commemorate Voyager for getting out of the musical phase it was in because that was getting pretty annoying there for a minute. Ah, yes. The, oh, Jerry Ryan can sing. We need to have her do that all the time. Oh, and the doc and and Robert Picardo wants to sing. I hope it was a virtuoso that really knifed that musical avenue. You know, if virtuoso knifed the musical element of Voyager, then that episode is not the worst episode of Voyager. Mm. It did a service. It did a service to us all. You know, sometimes you take the medicine. You know, it's, hold it on. Hurts. I actually, it's painful. I, sorry, I just had to write virtuoso on the list of shame I have hanging on my wall. <laughs> you don't want to miss that one. Yeah, we were just, we, you know, we led this episode by talking about all the the recaps that we're going to do, man. You got to keep that list fresh. I know I've got a whole list of ones I'm going to go back over. Like, we got I'm some research to do. Terrified of the of the Voyager rip. Like, what's what's 26 times seven there's a lot of fucking episodes there there's going to be more categories for that like not to not to derail our conversation too much but when we do the the final series finale rip there's going to be more than the usual categories because we got to capture voyager in its essence like there's going to be a what what is the most forgettable episode of voyager like Let's go, let's dig real deep and let's think about what what is a forgettable episode and what encapsulates that on the show. And then we have to remember them. So it's like a double challenge, you know? I'm going like, to have to go through, I'm going to have to find where my first notebook is. 
get both yeah. my note, my diaries here. I'm going to have to take a vacation day off of work that my wife doesn't know about so I can go to the fucking library or something and sit in peace and dig through my notes. You know what I should have done, though, before I brought this up is is to talk. I would I could I could have invented an episode. I could have, said the, I could have invented a forgettable episode and like conveyed all the details to you and tried to see if I could gaslight you into thinking it actually happened. That's such a lost could, opportunity. Well, look at that. That's very Voyager of you. <laughs> Yeah, the doctor's like, hey, listen, I got this thing and I'm selling it. And then Tom starts getting maybe a little jealous that the EMH has landed a, a hollow novel deal before Tom could. We find out that Tom did, in fact, create Doctor Captain Proton from the ground up. It seemed like he did. Like They were pretty clear that he created that when they did uh, Bride of Chaotica. And the doctor says, you know what? Uh, if you want to check it out, my, my work so far, I, I still have some finishing touches to put on it. But, you know, here's a file name. Go give it a shot. Tom goes to the holodeck, starts it up, gets very bored with the introduction, skips to chapter one. Space bars through the box text. I mean, I get that, right? I set my dialogue to uh, the fastest scroll level possible. Mm-hmm. And I, I start hitting space bar very quickly after uh, the voice acting gets uh, on my nerves. And it is clear that the novel is a recreation of the doctor's personal experiences as a hologram and EMH, but in a very heightened and exaggerated sort of way. So it is not the USS Voyager. It is it is the USS Vortex. Coincidentally, also trapped in the Delta Quadrant. And characters are clearly different but also very much based on the people that they look like the uh the captain is named uh jenkins instead of janeway the first officer is a bajoran instead of being chakotay uh tori one of the torres who's just a human chakotay's face tattoo is one of the worst face tattoos i've seen and i'm saying this as someone who's seen the current crop of the year 2021 rappers who are very fond of face tattoos. It's it's like a melting heart on his cheek. Kim is a trill with slick back hair. His name's Kimmy, I think. Kimbo. Kimbo. Kimble. Yeah. Tuvok is Mr. Tulak, which is Tuvok with a evil Spock goatee. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's very exaggerated. Uh, the the opening ch- chapter is there's a mass casualty event. Uh, Paris as the doctor is going to operate on the most severely injured patients, and then not Chakotay. I never caught his name actually. Brings in someone else who just has a concussion. He argues like I have to go treat him. It's Paris, Marseille. That's right, Lieutenant Marseille or Marseille, Marseille. I I don't know. I can't pronounce French words. Who's got this mustache? <laughs> like, and one of the the best, one of the best gags in the episode is everyone looking at that mustache and being like, "That is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen." Like, Tom sees it and he's like, "Oh my god, this is awful!" Like, everybody else has been turned into some other kind of race or entirely different type of person, where it's just him with this awful looking bushy handlebar mustache 
Who is this? This is a uh, brand Braga at the helm on this one story by brand Braga teleplay by Phyllis strong and Mike Sussman directed by uh, the old hand of David Livingston. This is actually David Livingston's last Voyager episode that he'll direct. I think that this really exposes a weakness in Voyager and that of all the fads that Tom Paris brought to the ship, that he was never able to actually spark a mustache phase for everybody. <laughs> well, I mean, if they're going to look like that, everyone would just see it as a cautionary tale. Like that was the <laughs> reaction. Everyone like it, it caused visceral disgust in every single, all the more reason, all the more reason they should have rolled it out. I mean, Riker brought the beards to the D I think Tom should have brought trash stashes to, uh, to Voyager. It's an interactive first person hollow novel. So the, audience interacts directly as the uh doctor in a very vr type experience and he comes in you you generate in the middle of tragedy which of of course the caretaker fiasco and having to do this emergency triage situation however when what is chakotay katane katane he also has a real bitch and ponytail he's rocking he does he is quite a look going <laughs> look like some uh, lepers that we knew he looks with like a weird uh, nose. lorenzo Lamas and renegade <laughs> yeah. so so he says hey listen i need my helmsman and he's like well i'm you know this other guy is gonna die his heart's gonna burst so then jenkins aka evil jimmy this is the most evil we have seen again there's never been to my knowledge a mirror mirror episode of Voyager, uh, where we're getting a dark uh, universe. Um, so the closest we've had up to this point has been Living Witness. Correct. And I, I don't, I don't know who's worse. <laughs> I think that Living Witness Voyager is clearly worse, but it's also is it? It does. They do chemically weapon a planet like. Yeah, but they're not chemically weaponing each other like they're and and to be fair, living witness Janeway said when diplomacy fails, it's time for decisive violence. I I'm going to say that these people on the vortex are worse than battleship or was it warship Voyager or battleship Voyager? Warship Voyager. Yeah, I'm Voyager, go... if you had to recreate it entirely from its next door reading. That's what's missing from this, too. Like, everybody's name has been changed. Starfleet needs to be absent from this, and they should be in the no com badge, turtleneck with black leather glove look. Of, yeah, uh, they should have gone for the whole the whole worship Voyager look, but alas we we did not get the turtlenecks nor the nor the strangler gloves i do dig uh janeway's severe bun making a comeback uh, she shows up uh knock off chakotay's like hey emh is broken and won't work on uh knock off paris so janeway goes all right well drop the force field that's keeping the doctor from the guy having a heart attack and then she shoots him and kills him and says good now you got time to work on uh fake paris get to it Paris gets done with the playthrough and we cut to the mess hall where he's explaining to Neelix and Torres like that was awful. That was a terrible experience. Like he explains everything that we just explained. Like everyone is 
you know, has a different name, but it's very similar to our names. Everyone looks different, but you still look similar to the way you were. Like, he really based this awful thing off of us. It's it's super insulting. And Neelix and, and Bolana are like, yeah, it couldn't be that bad, right? And he's and and that's when Bolana makes the comment of like, you're just jealous, the holodeck's supposed to be your domain, you know, needling him a little bit. And he goes, you know what? You guys do it. You guys talk to him. I won't go tell the captain. You guys give it a run and you tell me what you think. I, you know, you're getting real vibes of um, worst case scenario retread here. Uh, Secret holodeck program that the crew kind of becomes infatuated with word of mouth, secret stuff. And I love it. These, These episodes, they do it for me. I like that the gossipy nature of uh, of Voyager. This is also a very rare instance for Voyager. God, is it? What other episode can you think of where there isn't a rival space dilemma? Yeah, it's rare that it's entirely just about the internal drama of what's going on on the ship. They're just cruising through the most placid space imaginable. Nothing comes up. I can't remember the last time that happened. Balana and Neelix take a page out of the book and each take a turn wearing the medical blues. And I like how you kind of get chapter by chapter through a different character's eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who goes in there first? I think it's Bolana, right? Bolana goes first. Fake Paris comes in with a fake Delaney sister uh, and tells Bolana, hey, Bolana doctor go down to engineering. There's been a plasma conduit leak. And then she has to put on this backpack. That's supposed to be her mobile emitter while getting shit from, uh, from trash dash Tom goes down there and meets, of course, the version of her in the story who is just merely a fully human woman named Tori. I will never me out. It did because this was, this is really the only time that you see, that you've seen for probably six years now, right? Because the last time you saw it was Faces, I guess. Mm-hmm. Of what Roxanne Dawson actually looks like. And Roxanne Dawson, at the time this was filmed, was 42. And it's hidden really well under the massive amount of Klingon makeup that she has to wear, right? Like, she's supposed to be playing much younger than she is. She is this hot-headed, young officer who was a young terrorist who got kicked out of school and is a young married woman now and has got her kid on the way like she's supposed to be reading like late 20s probably at best right Mm -hmm. well in reality she's you know older than we are now time does have the, the effect like you can't hide it entirely so if you're not wearing two pounds of klingon makeup you look a little older than what the character you've been reading for the last seven years and uh, it was a little jarring because you're like, oh, oh, that's what you actually look like. That's so that's that's fucking me up. <laughs> that's a little weird. And I'll tell you, it's good split screen technology, too, because they have her talking to herself. And it's one of the best examples I think I've seen where you have two people playing different the same actor on both ends of the screen. But it's just such a seamless merge. And I don't know if that's computers i don't know if that's just good lighting yeah they uh, dumped the lights down low and i think that really helped because they did that with tom they did that with uh 
Tom Paris with Bellana and the Doctor. They did they they ran that trick three times, and everything in the holodeck the lights are like at fifty percent power. And I think that helped make it look better as an effect. Lieutenant Tori is of course a massive bitch, and uh, has no time for the Doctor being there. Uh, there is no plasma leak. It turns out trash stash Tom tricked her to go down there so he can go put his dick in something up in the med bay in the, the Tuvok Memorial, the Tuvix Memorial death corner. But, you know, there's, there's a couple parts to this chapter which stand out. One is the clear resentment that the doctor has, and it'll be addressed later on in a meeting with Janeway. The resentment he has towards the mobile emitter, um, this big, heavy like 20 pound backpack that looks like a fucking Ghostbusters proton pack. He has to lug around. I'm like, look at this cocky ass EMH thinking he's too good for 29th century hyper technology. That's like half the size of a fucking flip phone. Like chill out, dude. And then uh, the treatment of Torres here as Tori. I'm like, this is a real harsh light to paint the woman who is finally welcomed you into like the meat bag life and made you the godfather of her child they had a rough road you know I, and i think that the power of this episode is that i understood where the doctor was coming from so much more because we've been reviewing every single episode of this show and we have seen every step of where his character arc is gone then when i casually rewatched it the you know before before we decide to talk about this for podcasting purposes. I actually like sympathize with how he felt like it didn't seem comedic or out of place. Like, yeah, he kind of does get shit on a lot by his crew members and purported friends. Torres has not treated him well at times, including as you recall, reprogramming his family as it was adorable. Uh, blonde uh, daughter died in front of him. Yeah, where was that chapter at? Uh, you know, the uh, the captain has treated him like a, a a toaster. Like these these things have occurred to him multiple 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 times. Uh, and there have been other times where you know, they have been generous with him and accepted him, but it has been far fewer those circumstances than those that probably impinged on his personhood in a way that he probably would resent. Like that's, that's a very human way of processing that emotion. You know, there's going to be a very big discussion here where we break down is, is the doctor justified in all this? I, I would say at this point, taking everything at face value, um, forgiveness as it would pertain to AI because the human way to handle things is I offend you and then I find out you're offended and then I make a decision to say hey I'm sorry and then you uh, if you choose to say I I accept your apology that we have now entered into a social contract where that's over and you're not holding me accountable to those actions anymore. Certainly not to a point where you are going to make, uh, you're going to bring it up front and center, right? I completely agree. That sort of a societal, uh, norm. Does that, was that ever bestowed into the, uh, hologram to an AI hologram that was designed to be a band aid 
uh, during an emergency triage situation. Did anybody ever spell it out to him like, hey, you got to let bygones be guy bygones. And when someone says they're sorry and you say, I forgive you, you don't bring it up at Thanksgiving uh, because that's rude and shitty and undoes the repair that that the apology probably not. I think what the doctor was doing was not so much a, a violation of like a key social principle so much as like a subtlety to expressing that discontent that may have not like legitimately not occurred to him because of his naivety. At the end of the day, the doctor's a seven year old, like he's an encyclopedia of medical knowledge, but as a, uh, a social, his social maturity his emotional maturity, not emotional, but his social maturity is, is a seven year old. Uh, specifically to the point where we know the Mark ones were so fundamentally socially flawed. They're all in a fucking dilithium mine, right? Well, yeah, yeah. EMH Mark mm-hmm. one, uh, something about bedside manner. Yeah. Atrocious bedside manner, but the, the failure seems to be one of his just lack of self-awareness when it comes to this kind of circumstance. And he learns from experiencing it. Uh, but this is not something that I think he intended to do because he's like, I'm going to bring this shit up at Thanksgiving, like you were talking about, mm-hmm. and more just, I didn't know that this isn't something that I should do. I didn't understand. And let's let's yeah. go ahead and just have the full conversation about the doctor right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, his defense later on to this is, hey, some of these guys might look kind of similar to you, but I intentionally changed them. They are not you. They're just characters telling a story. And these aren't personal experiences that have happened to me, but this is an expression of how I feel. For instance, the emergent, so the mobile emitter, even though it's this little 29th century thing, the, the size of a pager, I feel like it still shackles me. And that's why I exaggerated it into this huge backpack. It was metaphorical. It others me in the presence of all of you, because I have this thing that I have to wear on my arm that makes it clear. I am not a flesh and blood human like the rest or flesh and blood person like the rest of you. I am AI. And at the end of the day, I perceive things different from you. So when I look at Tori, I don't see Torres. It kind of started off looking a little bit like Torres, but I changed everything. She's not a Klingon. She looks older. Uh, You know, Chakotay is is, someone went through the character sheets and just changed things subtly to AI. They're radically different and nowhere near that. He's not able to perceive that other people see Tom Paris. Other people still see Tuvok Uh, that it's all very earnest and an honest mistake, which, as you pointed out, will get highlighted to him and he'll later come to want to change. I buy it. I, yeah. I, I understand. It's it's portrayed in a way that makes the doctor not seem like a total asshole. Like it, it rides the line, but it doesn't like make his perspective actually seem pretty reasonable for his character. He's clearly wrong. And the story isn't it is definitely leading you down the path of like the doctor is not correct but he is not doing it out of like uh, trying, yeah, trying to be an asshole he just clearly doesn't actually get it and the, well, I, I, there is one thing though that he does get wrong which is that 
uh, he says to the to the to the captain while relating all of the character traits that his fake uh, crew and his fake story have says, well, you know, Captain, it's not like you've executed someone in my sick bay, which clearly she has in that exact bed. <laughs> like that's actually something you were there for, Doctor, when she totally executed Tuvix right there against your wishes mm-hmm. you made her do it <laughs> doctor i know these aren't supposed to be us because not once did jenkins try to blow the ship up with little hog i really love when uh neelix goes through his playthrough neelix is the one guy they didn't have like an evil version of and that sucks because i would have loved to see um neelix without the makeup right 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 there wasn't any mirror neelix Have we ever seen, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Actor. Ethan Phillips? Ethan Phillips. We've seen Ethan Phillips as a Ferengi and maybe a Klingon too, right? Yes, he was a Klingon in the Nazi episodes. Worst world. But he's never gotten just to be kind of a human dude. They, 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 They refuse to give him a day off outside the makeup chair. Um... But he gets yeah. to put on the, the blue uniform and get grilled by Jenkins in a uh, a very spot on scene where she's like looking at his Winder stat report of where all the memory has been allocated in his program to like singing, cooking, uh, fucking, fucking, fucking. Was, <laughs> yeah, was the third thing. And when fucking Neelix gets this look on his face, he's like, whoa, I didn't know holograms could do that. And I'm like. Is he being cheeky? Because he he programmed that Polynesian resort. He knows he knows okay. holograms know that, how to take dick. What, you know, like the that Polynesian resort was programmed with people into foot stuff, as we established very early on. <laughs> it was a and very was, Quentin Tarantino focused <laughs> demographic, and it was everyone else who brought their sex dolls. Remember, like Harry Kim had a volleyball team, and he programmed in. Like Bolana had like this incredibly buff dude wearing nothing but a fig leaf over his giant dong. And it's like, I'm going to take this for, for a swim. The Polynesian resort episode title should have been. If you build it, they will come. (laughs) Oh man. The algorithm would have loved that too. You know, that could have been our third big hit next to our two other horny episodes. (laughs) Trek fans love sex. Go figure. I mean, um, just love sex. Like, just leave out everything else. The algorithm knows what it wants, and it wants to bang. What, is this the one where they send them off to get reprogrammed? Yeah, so when Neelix... It's, Torres is in it with the fake call down to engineering. It's uh, Neelix when it's the confrontation with the fake captain in the ready room. They bust and then, out him and uh, Tuvok for that one. And they go to escort him to go down to like the wiping station. And in the turbo lift, uh, they get diverted as what is her name at that point? Three two of eight? three. And two I think of three. three of eight. No, oh, first three of eight. Okay. Yeah. Two of three isn't until we're sleazy doctor time. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Three of eight. Now all. So the seven of nine evil version is actually a good person because it's, it's the opposite of what you are. <laughs> So this version of Seven of Nine clearly has 
Never shot up engineering <laughs> once. <laughs> no, never, she, never uh, sexually assaulted Bellana ever. You know, she like she might have. I don't. Yeah, hmm. she's got red hair. It's down. All of her Borg implants are basically jewelry. So she's got like blinking earrings and a blinking necklace. It's straight up actually Spencer's gifts. Like it's like Jerry Ryan just went there and grabbed a few things and came to set. The the Borg laser electricity disc is straight up Spencer's gifts. Don't let him off the hook. She interrupts him. Uh, clearly has a soft spot for the doctor. Is clearly doted on. You know, she has a consistency, consistently positive portrayal in this. And I'm going to say that might kind of throw bullshit on the doctor's assertion that these aren't the actual crew members because he's he's sweet on seven and seven is certainly shown in a much kinder light than anyone else around her. So I might have to rethink my theory on if these are malicious caricatures or not. I, I was too distracted by how bad Jerry Ryan looks with red hair. Yeah, it was awful. I was not a fan. That's like, no, that's not a look for you. Really oh. clashed with their bodysuit. Just, just, just don't do this. <laughs> Go back. <laughs> Go back. So, uh, and then lastly, they, they transitioned to, obviously all three of them thought it was as bad as Tom did. And they told the captain, cause the captain is the one doing the last chapter. <laughs> they don't have that conversation in the episode. They just show the conversation happen. Like clearly the captain is not doing this because she got told by the rest of them. This is a fucking problem and you need to see this. And uh, she does the last scene where her program gets decompiled and, you know, like fake seven of nine tries to make this speech. Captain's like, fuck this toaster. I'm resetting it. And she gets done with it and immediately is like, yeah, this is the captain to the EMH. Uh, you, you get your ass to the briefing room uh, right now. <laughs> this is we have a conversation to have. And uh, that's where we get that scene where we we have the doctor initially defending his position from, I would say, genuinely hurt friends. This is not the conversation is not one of command. It is very much an intervention. Yeah, like, hey, doc, do you know you're really like hurting us with this? Like, are you aware that this is awful? And, uh, you know, everyone basically takes different turns pointing out the obvious to him and he giving defenses. It's kind of we've already summarized this part of the episode. The doctor comes off as sincere and wanting to represent what he feels are genuine civil rights issues that he as a hologram have faced. And he doesn't want to compromise what he feels is his ability to tell that story by speaking journeying too far from the reality of his story even as he defends like yes i based some of this off of you but i changed things so much that it's clearly not you so how could you possibly be to my ai perception which i think you actually put quite well when you put it that way of like as an ai he would see those differences as clearly enough because he's not looking at it from the emotional intelligence of a fully formed human and I mean, he points out other things, too, like Paris is like, come on, man, like for starters, it's all the vortex is a ship stuck in the Delta Quadrant. And he's like, I have to write about what I know. And I'm a seven year old computer that, you know, fucking utility that was made to stitch wounds. I'm not a creative mastermind like that. I 
this very much feels like have have a 10 year old or 15 year old, even a 14 year old write a story. I think about our old uh, Dungeons and Dragons campaigns back in middle school and we'd pick fucking people we went to school with and they would be, you know, the characters, right? Like this is all pretty spot on. Um, so someone who's techni- technically brilliant, but emotionally developing. This is yes. classic version of that and, and learning. And this is, you know, this is the, the first time he's had this part of the learning process. I will also, you know, devil's advocate say, for whatever dummy cards he tries to play here, like you sure synthesize, you know, enough opera houses and plays and all this other stuff that you should know better. And also, Hey, you want to write a howl novel? Why don't you talk about the seven fucking years that you were down on a uh, donut planet surface with your new family? Like there was a lot to unpack from that experience doc. You might want to, might want to get out of your system. Yeah. And let me revise my statement. He's, he's not seven. He's, yeah, he's like 14 then. He was down there seven years, right? Or six? I, I don't think it was that long. If I recall, it was a couple years. Anyways, he's got bonus life is what I'm saying. It's true. He's been around longer. But I guess if we're just going to memory hold two Vix, I guess to a degree we have to memory hold that as well. <laughs> Eventually, the way that the she the the doctors she how can this penetrated. episode have so much to talk about in q2 barely gotten us past the half hour mark the reason is that this plot is saying something like that was our big complaint about q2 right like this plot doesn't say anything it doesn't do anything it's not worth talking about because it's just juvenile and bland and awful this is so deep like we haven't even gotten to the b plot yet there's I, I I'm remiss to even call it a B plot. I just sat here one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's eight plots running this bitch and they're all top shelf. Speaking of top shelf, the the Tom Grift in this episode is a return to form. Because Tom has high emotional intelligence and says, I know that the doctor is never going to understand this if we try and sit here and explain it to him. But he, what he will understand is the visceral feeling of humiliation that will that will get him keyed up so that I can make a point to him. And what he does is he goes into the holodeck and he changes his program and makes it so that it's a lecherish good time, fun time doc that is abusing his assistant. And we see a quick vignette of that where the doc being played by Picardo and being amazing has this comb over uh, as a real greasy sort of panache to him. Hmm. And uh, this is where two of three is the, is the version of seven in there. Oh, they're triplets. And uh, like, he does everything like real quick, like kind of scanning. It's just this contempt in everything that he does of just being like a used car salesman level of greasy. And it's like give her a Klingon aphrodisiac to get her into the the the, the fuck mood. It is uh, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. It's what Tom would do first because it's lowbrow. And you can tell everybody's like super into the scene and having a good time too. And like I think when you can tell when the actors are enjoying themselves. Oh in yeah, material. Even Jerry Ryan, she's like. Oh, it hurts when I do this. Like she's selling it, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm the dumb ditzy broad in this version. 
and uh, it has the effect. Like Doc comes out real hot. They they have this fucking shouting match in the middle of the hallway where they are like an inch in front of each other's faces and they are fucking laying it out on, on each other. It's actually really good. Uh, where you know it's actually like, how dare you do this? How dare you portray me in this way? And then you know Paris just looks at him like, but it's so different than you. How is it that anyone could possibly interpret that that holographic recreation could possibly be you? But boy, oh boy, it hurts your fucking feelings if someone did, wouldn't it? Now you can't have uh, a con Tom without squeezing a little New Jack Neelixon. Yeah, because the follow up to it is uh, Neelix, who actually gets a pretty decent amount of uh, screen time for uh, a special guest star. Occasional use character swings by uh, sick Bay and he's like, hey, you know, I got to play your hollow novel and I loved it. Uh, and he comes in with the with the with the good cop angle mm-hmm. uh, and gets the doctor to start discussing things. Doctor confides in him like I do kind of see where people's complaints are coming from. I don't want to compromise my story. You know, what do I do? Uh, Neelix drops what I've become fond of, uh, his Talaxian uh, maxims, I guess. Yeah, Talaxian folk wisdom. Which they're good. I like. remember when he said the daydreams are a glimpse into another world. Mm -hmm. They're good. Talaxians clearly have a lot of like spiritual beliefs. Well, that's good because they're caught in a fucking nuclear holocaust spiritual astral hell. It's good. Good that you believe in God. <sighs> Voyager is clearly not the angel of salvation. Mm. The what was it? The the spirit tree. Man, what a heavy episode! What a good one. That yeah, that's a that'll go down in the books. Um, so he goes, hey, you know, we got a saying on Talaxia. Uh, when you come to a path and you've got uh, you know option one or option two take option three and the doctor's like what's that he's like what if we just tweak it more we you know you 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 we accept the fact these are not supposed to be us and you accept the fact that they're too similar to us and we just really stretch this thing out you talk to your bullion broker guy and say that you need more time and uh, we really put out a quality product that is going to check all the boxes and keep everybody happy. And the doctor goes, that's great. And Neelix, who has an isolinear chip number, you know, he's the next guy who gets the phone call says, Hey, take my turn tomorrow. And uh, let's seal the deal. Which... I literally, I literally know no one in the alpha quadrant. I've never been there. I've never talked to anybody there. I don't know if you want to contact. So hey, here's mine. That's fine. It's incredibly generous of Neelix. At the same time, I have no doubt that that motherfucker would have somebody to call. He would just yeah. call. He would just cold call somebody. Hi, I'm I'm an alien from the part of the galaxy you've never seen. Can I talk Hi. to you about your uh, your warranty on your? Uh, no, it'd be the other car? way around. Yeah, they'd be like, uh, "Hey, you need a warranty on your ship." He's like, "I would love to talk to you about a warranty on my ship that's still in the hangar bay." Please, let's talk about this for eleven minutes, and that person would be like, "I'm getting off the phone with you now." Um, let's talk about the B plot. Let's shift gears because the main B plot is essentially. Seven of Nines kind of growth point for the episode. And that is she is as a function of being the arbiter of communications via the astrometrics lab, observing everyone's personal conversations they're having with loved ones back home. Uh, It starts with Harry Kim, who gets to finally talk to his incredibly Asian parents. Harry's parents 
are the most Asian parents that ever existed. Complete with his mom saying she should write a letter to the captain to to make sure that the captain is properly promoting her son. This is... It's it's adorable in how stereotypical it is. Yeah, it's it's something. But I mean, it's right on brand for what we've come to know about yeah. parents. After uh, seven years of hearing about them as folks, his mom in particular, and finally getting to see them, you couldn't not make them the most Asian parents, right? Like anything less than the maximal stereotype would have been something of a letdown. Absolutely. And it, it doesn't disappoint. Uh, that that little uh, chat and all these conversations are taking place in astrometrics. So um, seven of nine gets to sit there and like eavesdrop on everybody's business. Uh, you know, the I, hey, I'm going to write your boss a letter. They really just hit a home run in the game of rubbing Harry's face in the fact he's still an ensign. Um, oh, yeah. Seven oh. years and one dead version of yourself. Also really breaking the temporal directive like super bad and all the stuff he's done. Like what? You're the commander now, right? No, mom. I just get to run the night shift two nights a week. I, she's like, well, I, I'll write a letter for the promotion. He's like, <laughs> well, listen, or like what? Why? Why not? Why are you not? Uh, uh, why are you not better off? Well, you know, there's limited command opportunity. It's a small ship, limited command. I, I had this totally... one episode with Ron Glass. It did not go super good. <laughs> I now is not the time to write any letters. Okay, I it was a bad experience, Mom. I failed so bad that they put a hologram in charge of me. To the point where I'm going to have to like become like cuck myself later in the episode and talk about what a great commander he is. That's going to be me talking about that specifically. Well, I'll write a letter. No, mom, don't, don't. Oh, and then the screen fades to black. Ah, oh, fuck. I lost the end of my conversation. Damn. It was a nice moment between Harry and Seven because they, they, they came back to it later. And I feel like Harry was he obviously tried to like have a romantic relationship with seven and then they decided not to do that. And they kind of didn't know like how to deal with the, the two of them would deal with each other. So it was nice to see them have some positive interaction later on. But, uh, and then the next, uh, one she sees is Torres talking to her dad. Um, she said initially she was going to talk to her cousin, uh, presumably the female cousin from the flashback episode we saw of them when she's like trying to genetically alter her Jesus baby. So, you know, they, they, they get out. Everyone loves Raymond, right? And they, they hit him with the, the white in the beard. Yeah. Give him a little, little, little aging up. Little seasoning. DR scan marks on his stuff and, and start mending that bridge. And I'm like, wow, a, a great example where you take kind of a meh plot from another episode and justify it in that moment and make it worth it. And it's only just like a little bit of them connecting too. like, they don't oversell it. It's she's kind of standoffish. She's hesitant. He tries to bridge the gap a little bit and she reciprocates a little bit. Like, I'll write you, you know, like I want to make more of a connection. It isn't like, Oh, Hey, everything's cool now. Like it was realistic. And that's what made it a good, unrealistic for Voyager. Yes. 
And every time Seven is what you know sees these interactions, you know she's got that look on her face of there's something going on here, and I'm not getting it. You know, like, and I know I'm not getting it, and that makes me feel uncomfortable. We'll find out through some background um, conversation that Chakotay talks to his sister because uh, everybody's kind of like, "Oh, who'd you talk to?" Chakotay, I think, heavily underused in this episode. And, and I think instead of his sister, he should have maybe talked to his lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have an attorney. You may have forgotten. I am a terrorist. <laughs> I should be going to, uh, I don't know, dilithium mines or something. I'm very afraid for what's going to happen to me when I return. And I'm I want to go to the that. cushy New Zealand resort that fucking Tom was at. Unfortunately, so, my dad is not an admiral, so... I have contacted Space Johnny Cochran to assist me <laughs> <laughs> with this if with this affair. If the tattoo does not fit, you must acquit. The B-plot resolves around Seven eventually going to uh, Harry with her chit, her Icelander chip, for calm time and says, Hey, Harry, I remember what you said about how upset you were. You weren't able to finish your conversation with your parents. You can have mine. I, you know, I'm trying to offer this to you as a friendly gesture. She's understanding this is important and this is meaningful to Harry. And I want to give this to you. And Harry, to his credit says, I'm not going to take this from you because there clearly must be someone you can contact. And you should do that. And it's probably the, the the most selfless friend thing that anyone has done for Seven of Nine. And it's a small thing, right? But like the doctor and, and they, they do the big stuff for her. You know, they accommodate her on the big stuff. But as far as like a small gesture of friendship of like, hey, thank you for offering this, but I'm going to insist you keep it because I think you should instead contact someone from your own family. And even if you have no idea who that is, you should try and find that out. Like this is would be correct for you. It was was touching. And so I, she's like, you know, I do know about a colleague of my father from a job he had, um, Bobby Budnick. Maybe I'll give him a call. That's a salute your shorts reference. Oh God. Unfortunately, his other associate, Donkey Lips, passed away in the debate. <laughs> you see, you said Donkey Lips and I got in there. Yeah, well, listen, we go for the deep cuts here, man. But uh, she says, yes, my my dad's sister, Irene. So Irene Hansen is alive. And says, I'm sure she'd love to hear from you. <laughs> hey, I'm your niece. I was a Borg. I have a lot to unpack in three minutes. But she ends up calling her. And it's a very grandmotherly, like, telling her stories of when she was a kid and Seven, like, kind of almost paralyzed with, like, oh, I'm so sorry I was a shitty kid and not understanding, like, this is just small talk commiserating. She shows more uh, trauma to the fact that she uh, was a bad kid who hid herself in a room than she does for genociding entire solar systems. Yeah, like, I am responsible for the murder of millions, if not billions, but the fact that once my aunt had to bribe me out of my room with strawberries, and then I, like, bitched about how they weren't perfect is filling her with existential dread. I did like the the strawberry connection. Her, oh, I'm very fond of strawberries now. I didn't know. Go back. Like, that connection with her old life, and really the first time 
outside of Unimatrix Zero where she responds well to the name Annika. It it's all done very subtly and appropriately, and they've made such an emphasis of her growth over the course of the sixth and particularly the seventh season that it's really nice addition to the episode and it doesn't overwhelm anything else that's going on. In fact, it fits in nicely with what's going on with so much of the doctor's growth being part of why it is the plots happening. I'm going to call the seven and nine stuff, the C plot to me, the B plot is, uh, you know, the doctor's already gone through his emotional journey now of, oops, I messed up and, and this is offensive. I need to <laughs> And then the B his... plot is when the last 10 minutes become measure of a man Voyager edition. I, on top. You, you Just get slap the, it right you, on. <laughs> but, you know, call in now and we'll also throw in measure of a man. So turns out that bullion is a piece of shit. And even though the doctor said, hey, chill out, that's just a rough draft. The publisher is in such a rush to distribute this fucking thing and i'm saying distribute because this is earth and as we know in star trek 24th century there is no money so i don't really understand what this bullion's motivation is here if it's like some sort of skeevian media starved civilization prestige thing but he's put it out in the loose reg who this isn't reginald's uh barclay's last episode is it he appears briefly, I think, in the finale. But I think yeah, they really the sign light him in this one. He does not get much screen time, which, you know, after the last time we saw him where he was like the star of the show, I suppose it, it's only reasonable. But he goes to Paris and says, hey, listen, um, here's this holodeck program that's floating around and you need to know about it. And then Paris is like, uh, excuse you, Reg, but I'm not a nerd who just sits on the holodeck all day like you are. And he's like, no, but you really need to see the mustache they put on your son. <laughs> you, you can tell that Admiral Perez is still very annoyed by the fact he has to work with with Barkley, right? Like, Where, where's your handler? Where's Pete at? And he's, he's like, look. He you, likes you, him enough that he doesn't have to go through Pete anymore. Like, okay, you you made it so that I can talk to my son. So, like, you got a lot of points off of that. But I still am uncomfortable with what a weird nerd you are. <laughs> like, Reg is yeah. like, do you understand, like, what this hollow novel means? And then Paris is like, you see, the holodeck is a series of tubes. Yes. And uh, we find out, however, that Reginald did in fact impart the information uh, with enough urgency that in fact, Admiral Paris dragged his ass through it and then sternly calls up the captain and be like, what fucking kind of jabroni circus are you running over there that you let this happen? This is bad. This, this is why we put all bad. of these things in a mind. These Mark ones are a problem. I told you to delete it. We'd send you a Mark six. You demanded to keep the Mark one, and now we have like the most scandalous thing to come out of Starfleet since the time the flagship captain tried to assimilate Earth. Yeah, that was pretty bad. That was <laughs> that was pretty bad. But, this is the most scandalous thing to come through since the time that all the upper brass got replaced by brain parasites. This is definitely the worst thing to happen since Picard murdered everyone at Wolf three five nine, including Cisco's wife. <laughs> This is the worst thing that's happened since we relocated an entire species onto a holodeck reservation and tried to 
throwing with the skin stretchy Vidian knockoffs. This is the worst thing that's happened since you rescued we rescued a Borg drone and then said you have to go use him as a bioweapon. This is the worst thing that's happened since two of our security operatives uh, were thwarted by a window while trying to pursue a fugitive in San Francisco. This is the worst thing that's happened since we interfered with a civil war (laughs) in a different empire. (laughs) This is the worst thing that happened since all the kids quit doing Tide Pods so they could get addicted to that tornado video game mind eraser thing. This is the worst thing to happen since the Cardassians were oppressing Bajor for 50 years, murdering millions of them, and we just never stopped them. <laughs> I feel like we got to finish on a strong one here. What's what's the worst thing we can really like to feel? This is the worst thing. Oh, well, Picard hasn't happened yet. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Now everybody's like, oh, shit, what the fuck? So, uh, yes, you do quite literally get measure of a man. And it's not even a bad rehash either, right? It, it all boils down to the fact that uh, there, if instead of Detective Tuvok, we get Lawyer Tuvok, who says in a literal, um, a literal interpretation of Federation law, uh, the doctor is not a person, therefore his creative rights do not need to be respected. This is the property of... Uh, evil Simon and Schuster, and they can do what they want with this thing. Um, So we are going to either have to argue that the doctor is a human uh, or take a alternative route that is going to basically devalue him as a person and undo basically what this entire episode is about. I do like that they really established that all of the if we just accept the argument that the doctor isn't a person, all of those arguments work. Like, they, they take a second to, like, say, yeah, we could actually accept the premise the Doctor's not a person and win the case. 100%, right? Mm-hmm. But this is the crew taking a moment to reflect on the Doctor's truth and saying, we have to fight this on the best possible grounds because the Doctor is correct. Like, while we didn't appreciate necessarily how he was going about it, or he didn't he didn't understand how it was affecting us. We still get it. We're his friend. Like we 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 see this metaphor of the in the story he was telling, and we we're understanding where he's coming from. So here's our chance to defend him and really stick up for his rights as a person. And they run through kind of the greatest hits of the doctor's career. Right. This is all taking place in a. A tri- it's not a tribune because there's not three judges, but there's um Arb- arbitrator, an arbitrator. And they're eating the 11 minute time slot they have with for, uh, for three days. Yeah, three days. So that's three, three hurt butts there. Um, and it's Admiral Paris and Reginald on one side, the arbitrator and then um, bullying guy. And I feel like there was a tremendous opportunity here to bring a slimy lawyer in for the bullion and that 100% should have been Devani Rao. I completely agree. <laughs> or the outrageous Okuna, you know, oh, like what were they gonna, fake Riker. What are you going to do with him? I mean, sometimes he's just, he had a career change, you know, like <laughs> he could have been there with that late eighties 
space pirate knockoff hand solo bullshit. No, man, Devani Rawls already established himself as a uh, uh, a negotiator uh, freelancer. So they go through this and uh, this then turns into kind of like a oral clips show where everybody sits there and goes through their best of why the doctor is a real boy and should be respected. Uh, including, like I said, Harry Kim having to admit that the CMH, the I'm sorry, the ECM emergency command, ECH is a better uh, commander than he is. You have Janeway telling the story of how the doctor completely disobeyed her orders. And I presumably dealing with the uh, when we saw the Herosian last with the, uh, you know, the flesh and blood and the holograms getting loose. And uh, uh, it's like, that's not commendable behavior, but yeah, but it's human. He actually disobeyed my orders. He's not programmed to be able to do that. Like, but he did it. He decided he felt like he needed to. That indicates that he has free will. <laughs> like, it's... I noticed they skip over all the stories about Dr. Evil uh, torturing Kess with his Jekyll and Hyde or when uh, the captain of the Equinox deleted one line of code and he tortured seven of nine. Oh God. That uh, one. The many the, times he's tortured. Torres. The cast one, one, he got over, right? Like the cast one, he kind of like fought that back. Like that no, was, much more... I thought he did. No, that's how it ended. No, he died a piece of shit. They, he, he threw them both off the ledge and then they teleported. They transported Kess up. And recover the doctor's program and fixed him. The Equinox one is clearly the one that's just head and shoulders an unforgivable act against his character. It's the weakest shit for a reason, Joe. We don't just hand those things out like candy. (laughs) It's a precious gift provided to only one episode a year. (laughs) Very prestigious. (laughs) They run through it all and ultimately what the arbitrator decides is okay this whole thing about holograms being people that's not going away this is going to be a problem we're gonna have to face it but i'm just some fucking guy i'm not gonna say that holograms are people but i will say that the doctor is clearly a creative entity capable of making creative individual choices and his creative rights need to be respected and as a result he has the right to recall this hollow novel from distribution if he so chooses there is more writing on the line here and the doctor even calls it out specifically we found out in lifeline which also gets referenced heavily in this by reginald um that all of the mark ones have been as we said uh decommissioned and regulated to or reduced to dilithium mining and that the doctor's efforts here with this book is fighting for their rights just so much as much as his own. Um, There are huge implications here. Measure of man established data as a person. And I am, I'm loathe to talk. I mean, well, that we talk about Picard all the time. I hate Picard. We'll talk about it because it does touch on so many buttons. I hate Picard partially because of the damage it does to measure of a man. Like that, it, to, it, to, it it takes it and then plunders it. To does to many many things, but during our discussions of Picard, you reference this episode specifically because of the final scene where we do see the Mark Ones 
toiling away in the dilithium mines. Um, measure of a man established that data as an individual was sentient and was bestowed with the rights of, of a life form by the Federation. Data was a data was constructed by Nunyan Soong outside of Federation science jurisdiction. Whereas the doctor is very specifically a piece of Starfleet technology that was developed in-house and deployed to the ship as a utility. Um, so I think they did a very clever job sidestepping the implications that this could have brought around by simply acknowledging him as an artist. Uh, I think they could have touched on, listen, holograms are there for recreation. And what you're doing right now is very dangerous. Uh, let's, you know, touch the West world things like, you don't want the sex robots or the murder robots to all of a sudden, uh, you know, get their citizen card and, and be given free reign here. We we have to say no to this. These guys were designed with a very clear purpose, and you are trying to sidestep that with an application that is running way outside of its initial bounds. But again, I think that Bran Braga does a really nice job uh juking that entire thread with uh with the arbiters uh end ruling in this so they say all right we're going to recall all the copies of this that oh my god thousands of people have seen and if you remember how big the federation really is population wise like trillions there's yeah. trillions of people in the federation it has to be with as many planets as there are maybe not maybe not more than two trillion but like hundreds of Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of billions, thousands of billions. So who cares if a couple of thousand, they get a cool urban legend that they go on with. But um, the, the powerhouse here then comes in with the the actual ending uh, where you do have the dilithium mine. And you do see all the Mark ones in their jumpsuits mining dilithium. And one of one gets uh, ordered to go in for a diagnostic and he is season one snippy and shitty. Uh, I know the drill. How dare you? Okay, cool. While you're there, ask the technician to show you uh, file five Zeta three or whatever, which is the the doctor's hollow novel. And that kind of I don't know if they ever go any deeper with this plot in Voyager. Not in Voyager. I think that I agree with your overall sentiment that it was a clever way to write around going too big with the solution not wanting to like impair future Trek probably in their minds by like making holograms people. They did touched on self-aware holograms and the extent of this technology already in a couple different ways and TNG and in DS nine. So I, I think it set the stage to like continue to explore like the ethics of the Federation employing artificial intelligence by way of holograms and, and that sort of thing. And it's a shame that that potential was wasted in the way it was in Picard in that apparently the answer is the Federation became very okay with slave labor and just embraced it. Uh, hard, hard to explain it any other way, but were the exocomps Starfleet funded. I don't remember. I think they were. Because they were declared 
a new they, life form. They were, uh, or at least they, the Enterprise acknowledged them as new life forms. I mean, Exocomps end up joining Starfleet in Lower Decks, and I'm willing to take that as canon. I, that's true. There, one one does in fact become a Starfleet officer, and then immediately becomes a coward and runs away. Fair enough. <laughs> like was her name Peanut Hamper? Yes. I dig it. I'm going to give you a quick rundown here, Joe. The Seven of Nine family plot. Uh, the Doctor's book plot. The Doctor learning a lesson about being a dick plot. Torres recovers things with her dad plot. Uh, the book guy turning out to be a slime bag. Uh, the Harry Kim family plot. The measure of a man subplot. Uh, the clips episode where we revisit the Doctor's best of uh, good exploits. Uh, the slave camp. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine juicy plots rolled into one episode. How? How, how yeah. can you do so much and so good? I, we haven't had this much going on since Timeless. This was a, a very rewarding episode for a fan of Voyager to watch. It leans in to the performances between the actors in a way that sometimes Voyager avoids. It was a very low budget episode, you know, reuse your existing sets for Pathfinder and Voyager. And that's basically it. Uh, the, the real strength comes like the hallway scene with the doctor and Paris yelling at each other and Paris trying to get him to understand like how hard much he's hurt his friends and like the, the, the way that, you know, Torres makes amends with her father, you know, or at least the starting of amends with her father and seven of nine kind of going on this journey of like, what am I missing here about connections to home? Do I have one? Should I explore it? What does this mean? Like all of this stuff is fantastic and is all the more so because we have been so, like you said, locked into the nuances and details of the show because of doing the podcast that it kind of unlocked DLC for us. So I really enjoyed it. It's uh, it's like a magic eye. You know, it might seem like a garbled mess, but if you stare at it for long enough, a lot of cool things pop out. And yeah, that, that's where I'd put it. Um, yeah, definitely a strong point for the season and series overall. So moving on, we're going to be getting into season seven, episode 21, Friendship One. We see the two very famous only uh, spacesuits that exist for 24th century <laughs> courtesy of uh, First Contact. I can't tell who's in there, but they're on some nasty planet. We haven't been on planet hell in a while, have we? We have not. I got good news for you. <laughs> Voyager recovers a long lost space probe, which has caused terrible radiation damage on a distant planet. That sounds like a real solid Trek premise. It's going to have some some fun things to talk about. I'll leave it there. Mm. And thank you for listening to Vija Please, a hateful voyage of the Delta Quadrant. And we will see you next week.